Hi, my name is Alex Keon, and thank you for tuning in to Mentor Moments. I've personally been fortunate to have a great mentor in my life who has literally changed the trajectory of my career. However, I know that not every young person will have that same opportunity or experience. That's why I've created this podcast to give you rare access to executives and leaders who will share insightful advice to help you on your personal and professional growth journeys. This episode was sponsored by JSX, a hop-on jet service offering short-haul flights between Arizona, California, Nevada, Washington, and Texas. JSX has been a longtime sponsor of our nonprofit, and we are so grateful to have their support. To learn more about JSX, please visit jsx.com. So joining us today is Dr. Sajal Hathi. She is a primary care doctor at Massachusetts General Hospital and a clinical fellow on the faculty of the Harvard Medical School. Dr. Hathi has dedicated her career to serving vulnerable communities in the United States and globally. Over the last decade, she founded and led two social enterprises advancing women's rights and agency, which have served women across six continents and 100 countries. Dr. Hathi is also the host for Civic Rx, a podcast to inspire a conversation about how to build a healthier and more just society. Thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So I always like to start these episodes off by first asking the guests, what did they want to be when they were growing up? Yeah, well, that is a loaded question. I wanted it to be everything when I was growing up. I have an incredible woman uh, as a mother who came to this country herself when she was very young from uh, Tanzania, from Dar es Salaam, and uh, transmuted her own difficulties with the immigration system into a career as an immigration attorney. And uh, I wanted to be exactly like her when I was growing up. My very first aspiration was as a lawyer and specifically as a human rights lawyer. Certainly as those uh, aspirations evolved, but I've aspired to everything from a neurosurgeon to a human rights attorney, to an entrepreneur, to a public servant. And I do hope life is long. And so I do hope I will have the opportunity to dabble in all of those arenas over the coming years. But At present, I am incredibly grateful to have the opportunity to serve others as a doctor. Well, I know that many kids do grow up wanting to be everything, but it seems like you've actually done quite a lot because I know the bio I just gave was really just surface level. So, you know, I kind of want to start by asking, you know, what was the impetus for starting your first social enterprise? Sure. So the very first organization that I started was Girls Helping Girls at the age of 15. And... I was moved to embark on on that venture because of my own experiences, my own struggles with anorexia. So I was diagnosed with this eating disorder, anorexia nervosa, when I was just under 15 years of age. And I come from an amazing family, but one for whom, as is frequent among the entire Indian American community, one for whom, speaking of such psychosocial ailments, let alone conceding that a member of the family has succumbed to them is taboo. And so for the longest period of time, both I and my family refused to acknowledge that I had this challenge. And it was only, you know, when I lost my ability to menstruate, I developed osteoporosis 
premature osteoporosis. I fainted on stage, you know, at a dance performance that we finally realized, okay, something has to be done. And at that point, my physicians were critical. They pulled me from that abyss. They made me recognize that I'm larger than this disease. They helped me rediscover and reassert my dignity and my own agency. And that was incredibly powerful. I wanted to give back. I I wanted to be a physician myself. And I wanted as well to ensure that as many girls as possible would not fall into the same abyss. And so I decided to start something small in my community, just bringing girls together who were struggling with different things from depression to insecurity to eating disorders across the gamut and say, well, how can we again transmute these challenges into something better? How can we use what's happening to us to make the world a better place? How can we help one another? And it just kind of mushroomed from there. Like from my local community, we started connecting with others around the country, then others around the world, just building this sisterhood of young women who recognize that their greatest power lay in uniting with one another. That's a really harrowing journey you went on, but I'm so glad to hear that it turned into a force of good for you. And were you surprised by the response you got after you started the organization? Like, did you ever expect it to grow into what it did? I definitely did not start this small after school program anticipating that it would burgeon into a multi continent, multi country movement. But I think that just goes to show that it tapped into a deep need. How did you set goals once you realized that this after school program was now snowballing into this much bigger thing? Well, I think naivete was a blessing. And so I had never launched a venture before. I'd never even created my own bank account. I was doing everything from scratch. And I received a tremendous amount of support from uh, Ashoka's Youth Venture. So I knocked on their doors when I was just starting this organization because I needed help figuring out how to write a business plan, how to raise money, how to recruit a team. And they were instrumental in helping me to do all of that. So I got a coach. I was immediately inducted into a community of young people around the world who were innovating on various levels um, in their own way. And I think they helped me set goals and they helped me decide what was feasible and what was not. And so I think that individual or organizations like Ashoka, like Youth Service America here in the United States, like uh, Girls for Change on whose board I sat, all of which were dedicated to equipping young people to launch their own entrepreneurial ventures. Becoming a part of those communities and seeking their support was incredibly helpful. Did you ever personally feel like it was hard to get respect just being such a young person in this space? Yeah, I think it was difficult to be taken seriously because I was a novelty and people like to parade me on stage at conferences and grant me award and say, look at this young person who's doing incredible things. But at the same time that they were apotheosizing me or in some ways erecting me as an example, they were also um, clapping as if I were like some cute, again, novelty. And it wasn't so much let us leverage lessons from this example to structurally make it more um, possible for young people to follow it, other young people to follow in those footsteps. It was more like, look at this incredible young person. We're going to 
hold her up as like a hero, but we're not going to do anything necessarily to make um, the system easier to navigate for young people. And I think that was that was difficult to see. And, you know, it was it was hard as well to get people to take me seriously when I was seeking fundraising. I think people saw me as here was this 15, 16 year old girl who was still navigating the trials of a, you know, a high school experience. But at the end of the day, results speak for themselves and people come around eventually. So yeah, I was just going to ask, how did you personally address those challenges? Because I know that for many young people, you know, even if it's just when they first come into the workplace as a fresh out of college graduate, uh, they probably feel the same way that they're not respected, they're not taken seriously. So how did you deal with that? Well, I will say, firstly, that I think the arena has become considerably easier uh, now than it was when I started. So this was, you know, when I was making my foray into social entrepreneurship, this was, I want to say 2006, 2007, around around then. So a full like 13, 14 years ago. And there were very few teenagers like me who were creating their own nonprofits, their own businesses. It's now the number of folks who are doing this this work now has truly skyrocketed. And so I think it's no longer the novelty that it once was, and and therefore it's easier for folks to navigate. But at the same time, the way that I dealt with this then is likely the way that others should deal with it now, which is to recruit steady and staunch advocates among other adults, people who can purchase influence in the community, who can stand up for you and say, I believe her. I have donated. I am on the board. Um, That's what I did. I recruited my high school principal and several other prominent philanthropists, folks who had been involved in the mayor's council that I was a part of, people who the rest of the public could point to and say, I trust this person, therefore I'm more likely to trust her. So having those adult advocates, if you will, was very helpful. Well, thank you for that wonderful advice. I really appreciate it. It's interesting now because you're probably on the other side of the table where people are reaching out to you and asking you to be their advocate. So what advice would you share for people who are in that position? They're wanting to network with people that maybe will be their supporters. So I would say don't give up. I would say reach out to folks who inspire you, people that you want to learn from, even in a five-minute, ten-minute conversation, or people you want to become your mentor. But I would say don't ask, like, can you become my mentor? I would do your research and come to them with, like, a specific question that you know would resonate with their experience and that would truly be actionable for you and say, look, I read about you in XYZ as I'm now experiencing some of the same challenges that you spoke about and you navigated. It would mean the world to me if we could chat for just 10 minutes so I can gain better insight in how to resolve these challenges myself. And then follow up thereafter and say, thanks so much for this advice. This is what I did with it. These were the results. And then follow up two months later and say, this is where we are now. I just wanted to keep you updated. Um, I think that a lot of folks will reach out once and they'll be like, can we have coffee? And, you know, it's very difficult to respond to that because you're like, okay, um, sure. But what is the purpose of this? What really are you hoping to garner from this? What can I truly offer? We Everyone wants to be of help, but we have so many other 
responsibilities that we're juggling that we want to make sure that the time we're putting in is truly valuable. And so you have to prove that to us, that the time that we're spending with you will really be valuable. And then you have to follow up and keep cultivating that relationship. And you shouldn't hesitate as well in offering your own support to them in whatever way you may envision. You may think that, hey, I'm just like a student. I'm just a trainee. What can I possibly offer to this person who is done this much more than I have. But you can always offer something if only your perspective as a student, as a trainee, as someone in a different phase and domain of life. So never discount that. And people appreciate it. I appreciate how actionable that advice you just gave was. I mean, that's just a clear, simple formula for making a meaningful connection. And that's something that I think a lot of young people can struggle with, especially Mm -hmm. that cultivation part. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think that, and I've been guilty of this as well. It's easy to reach out to someone and have a great conversation and think, wow, that was a lot of fun. I really learned a ton, but then not really know what to do with that or follow up with that. And I remember when I was younger, I would in some cases reach out to some really amazing people, have a wonderful conversation with them, and then just not circle back for months. And then inevitably you want to reach out to them again. And you're like, well, I didn't, now if I've exhausted this connection, I already talk to them once and then I didn't do anything about it. And so the key is to keep circling back. I know you mentioned, uh, you touched on, you know, just how busy everyone is and how many responsibilities we're juggling. You know, I think obviously that's very true of someone like you. So I'm curious, what's your ways to cope with the different things that are on your plate? You know, if you're ever feeling overwhelmed, how do you address those sort of feelings? Yeah, I often feel overwhelmed (laughs) and I often feel tired And I don't know that I have frankly uncovered a panacea for those mental ills. We're all struggling, we're all learning, particularly in this time of Corona. Some of the things I've done is I, I don't know necessarily that I would advocate it, but I'm being just simply frank. I've probably watched more Netflix in the last 10 months than I had ever prior to that. And it's just a a way, so I'm often not even paying attention. I'm like folding laundry or doing other things, but it's a way for me to get my mind off of the horrible like tensions and other inequities and crises that are convulsing our communities right now to just do something mindless, uh, frankly, and, and not have to worry about that. Well, I appreciate you sharing what works for you. I uh, just had a curiosity. What is like the one Netflix recommendation you would maybe make to our listeners? Oh, if you haven't watched it, you must see The Queen's Gambit. It's so brilliantly acted. And it's also a social commentary on the treatment of women during the last 50 years of um, the 20th century. Yeah, I just started that. I'm definitely enjoying it. So I'm excited to uh, keep watching along. Um, But uh, since you did mention the coronavirus, I did want to ask, because as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, you host Civic Rx, you know, talking about how we can just make our society healthier, especially in the context of this pandemic. So what can young people do specifically to contribute to healthier communities or just creating better, healthier outcomes for everyone? So the most important thing we all must do, and young people particularly, because they have, and I suppose I'm a young person myself, we have been less fastidious about this in months past is abiding by these behavioral precautions that are prescribed by public health officials. So not socializing with their friends, not going to indoor 
restaurants and taking our masks off, uh, not having parties at each other's houses, not traveling um, and being sure to consistently wear a mask, physically distance, wash your hands to protect not only ourselves, but also those in our broader family and network that are less equipped to handle an infection should they contract one who are older, who are less healthy. And I think a lot of people are looking at the spate of news about the vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna and saying, hey, well, looks like the end is near and we don't need to worry about this as much. Well, that couldn't be farther from the truth in part because young people are gonna be the last of the country to actually get the vaccine, which likely won't be for them until early summer next year. If you're not a health worker, if you're not an essential worker, you're unlikely to get the vaccines for another six months. And so I think that it's incredibly important now more than ever as hospitalizations break records across the country for us to remain vigilant so that more lives are not needlessly lost. And to partake as well in some of these opportunities to connect with seniors, to give back to the community. There are groups like Invisible Hands, which was started by a Yale college student to bring groceries to seniors at need. There, there are other apps, multiple apps that have sprouted in, in recent months to connect young people with some extra time to seniors um, virtually who are suffering from social isolation. So there are other ways to give back, but most importantly, all people and young people particularly must abide by and follow these behavioral precautions. Thank you for that advice. And thank you specifically for the recommendations on uh, how we can still serve. You know, that's something that's very important still even in this time. So thank you. And then finally, if you could recommend one person, book or podcast that you think young people could really learn from, Uh, What or who would it be and why? So my, I would say my favorite book of the last 12 months has been, and maybe this is a little stereotypical, but has been Michelle Obama's Becoming. And I am a pretty open Democrat, but I think for any individual, whatever your political preference is, it is a um, eye-opening and thoughtful and authentic commentary on the challenges that she faced when she was growing up, attempting to navigate other people's expectations and perceptions of her, which were in many cases not true, and also growing into a role being flung into the role of senator's wife and then first lady, and, and how she navigated those challenges and uh, nonetheless conceived of and clung to an identity and a set of values that made sense for her was incredibly inspiring to read about. And I think instructive too, for any young person who's trying to figure out what kind of role they want to carve for themselves in this world and how to stay true to that. I think that's a great synopsis and I can see why any young person would want to read that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time, Dr. Hathi, and I'm sure our listeners learned a lot from you. So thank you for all the work you're doing. Of course. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Mentor Moments. And I hope you'll join us on the next episode to continue your growth journey. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram at My Mentor Moments.